five though. I was going to do top five things of France and then the not so top five. So the, the, the first one was um, the relationships that we developed in the course of six days, really five, six days, um, was unbelievable. Not just with the Cook family, but with the CMA missionaries that are in France. That's who congregated together and we went to serve them. So forgive me for not making that clear. So all the CMA missionaries in France came to this little retreat place like in the mountains of France and it was as beautiful as it sounds. And we went there, uh, we, did, we helped with worship and we helped with the kids ministry. So relationships that God ordained in a very short amount of time was, was, was number one. Serving two was actually serving the children of the missionaries. Serving the children of the missionaries and I, I was just amazed that what they said was like, you investing in us is actually you investing in our kids. And like I heard that once and I was like, oh, that's just them being nice because they need us. And then every single person said it to us. And I think all the five of us that were there, we all heard it from everyone. That investing in the missionaries is investing in their kids. And like what a picture, that's what it is here. So there are parents, right, in this room. And the kids are not in this room. Someone's investing in them. It's actually an investment in you. Third thing was Bordeaux. Bordeaux, France, I is just like, I'm not a world traveler. I haven't been to many cities. So like me saying most beautiful city I've ever been to, it doesn't carry much weight. But here, here's my picture. If Paris is New York City, Bordeaux is a slow day in Philly. You know the difference where like New York City kind of happens to you? <laughs> like you're, you're there and it's just like, um, this is awesome. And, but then you're just like on overload. Where Philly, even on like a work day, you, you guys are in charge of Philly. But just imagine a slow day in Philly. That's what it was like. We were in charge of the day. Um, the city was unbelievable. Fourth thing, uh, the cooks. Chris and Bridgie with little Mabel and Heidi. They're the connection point over there for us. Some of us have had a relationship with them since, I think right after we got married. That was like the time frame. And it was just like mutual friends and it comes to find out uh, we're in connection with them and seeing the lay of the land and trying to, pray through what God wants to do in that city was actually a privilege because like as we walked it through that was the goal it was like hey as you're walking and talking and and eating all the good food and and all those things like be praying about what God is actually saying for that area fifth thing uh the food the food was good there's no processed food over there so I mean hearty lunch hearty dinner and like I didn't go, it was, it was good, really good food. The not top five. The travel. Uh, I'm not going to lie, the first two things are actually connected, travel, and then Heathrow Airport. Harry tried to warn me, and I said, Harry, I know what I'm doing, clearly. Uh, we're in London for like 40 hours. It was just like a long thing. Luggage got lost, except mine. I was a really unpopular member of the Fervent Crew. I had my carry-on, thanks to Justin Coombs, and I looked good, too, doing it. And so I had all my clothes, and I had fresh all the time, and, and they, I was not real popular for a while. Uh, the third thing was missing two Sundays. I, on paper, I, I didn't like that. And then like when the reality hit of it, I really... I did not like that at all. So 
Uh, I told you before I left, I was going like, to miss you guys. And the first Sunday I was traveling, so it was like a little bit less of a miss. That second one was rough. Missing two Sundays is not something I want to duplicate. And then, uh, oh, the last two. Yo, they have no coffee on the go. Oh, none. You, gotta, you sit and you have your espresso or your flat white. I mean, it was amazing. It's really, it tastes really good, but there is no, that's like, my, that's like my life. Like when I leave my house, I naturally just go to get coffee, even if I don't need it. And they don't, they don't do that. They, you, you don't do that. You sit and you drink your coffee and you conversate. And uh, one thing that they do well over there, they know how to get together. So, you know, here in our American church, or if you don't, but when we're here, we're like, hey, go, go form relationships outside the building. You hear that from us in like 17 different ways every Sunday. They do that. They naturally congregate. If there's like an open area, they're congregating. If, if, if it's a small restaurant, um, they're congregating. They just need the truth of the gospel as the foundational point in which we do, right? So that's... That was the balance for me. It was really weird to see. It was, it was really hard to, to see no one smile. No one, no, nobody was laughing. And, and it was like quiet. Like that was fine for a while, but then you would get on like a crowded tram, which was like their public transportation. Nothing. Nothing. The darkness, like a, a spiritual darkness there. And, and really, that's kind of my thing. Is like smiling. That's like my way of saying hello. And to not have that reciprocated took me off guard. Because uh, one, I think they knew I was American, which is fine. And they think we're fake and we use too many superlatives, which they're absolutely right. Uh, but that was weird for me because that's kind of my thing. They don't do encouragement. They don't do any of those things. Um, and uh, definitely the not top five, the last one, guess what? I almost got pickpocketed. Yeah, I, uh, in short, we're like making this mad dash across Paris with like all this luggage. Um, train the train, train the train, we get in a really busy train station and a train pulls up and it's packed and then they say, hey, we're getting on this one. And I'm thinking, do we have to? Hey, but I'm not in charge. I said, okay, so we get on and right before the doors closed, um, three men come on and chaos for about 15 to 20 seconds. Like I almost fell over. Emma almost went down, like Kaylee almost went down. I'm pushed up against luggage, which is up against a pole. It's, it's just madness. And, and all of my uh, passport wallet and my phone were in my front pocket. Um, and my pants are tighter than they probably should be. But I, they're safe, so I thought. And first stop, less than a minute later, the doors start to open. And a uh, phone hits the floor. And my first thought is, that looks just like my phone. Uh, the dude had my phone. He had my phone, and I, and I, and I look at it, and, I, and I'm, what, what do you do? Am I really going to try and tackle someone in Paris? I, I get, I'm going to get my phone, and gone. Everyone's gone. And um, it, really, it really, like, struck me how, uh, what chaos can do, like, in a short amount of time. Someone had their hand in my front pocket and took out something valuable. And um, because I'm that guy, I, I was like, thank you, Holy Spirit, I did. I said, thank, thank you. I was like, that, that dude had no idea who we were rolling with on a train in Paris. And so, but my point being, they knew exactly what they were doing. They were pros at it. And my professional pickpocket friend dropped my phone on the way out. I can't imagine the conversation him and his boys had after. We're like, that, clearly he's an American. Clearly he had no idea what was going on. And you dropped the phone. 
to me, that's like a little miracle uh, to me. And, and we needed those things along the way. And, and now we're, we're doing a sermon series on miracles. Uh, we're calling it Rule Breaker. And I'm preaching one today here. Pastor Mike's preaching a different one in Voorhees. So if you want to hear about the water into wine miracle, which I do. Uh, Pastor Mike's preaching over here today, or over in Voorhees. Today, I'm, I'm preaching on a miracle that's not like in his top 10. And the one list wasn't even in his top like 24 or 25 mentioned. Which, at first I was like, oh, that's really good. And then I'm like, oh, this, this is why. And, and I really sensed in my heart, uh, he did put this one, God, he did put this one on my heart. And because of the digging needed, um, there was no relying on some um, knowledge from church growing up type stuff. Uh, and so my, the labor of love that I have to communicate to you today has been a labor. Um, and uh, I'm super excited. I'm very excited. So um, there's a couple of... Um, there's a couple of opening points I have to make. And so far as like Pastor Mike's going to make them in Voorhees and about miracles, right? Because when you hear miracles, it can, it can get muddy like super fast. Where Like, are you going to start talking about Jesus and miracles? Like, are we chasing miracles uh, here in this house? And no, uh, we chase Jesus. We receive Jesus. It's not Jesus and something. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's very important for us to start off with. Um, but we do believe in miracles, uh, and this is why. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. So that God we read about in Scripture, he does not change. So that's first. Second, it has nothing to do with the amount of faith. I'll say that again. It does have, doesn't have anything to do with the amount of faith. Faith healers don't like hearing that type stuff because there's examples in Scripture. The faith of someone else healed someone. It has nothing to do with that, but the amount of familiarity. Help me say that. Familiarity. Say it again. Familiarity. The amount of being familiar with Jesus. That, that is the crutch. That's the crutch of the matter. Uh, Mark 6 says, and Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Isn't that funny? That doesn't count as a mighty work for Jesus. Like if someone sick was healed today, that's the first thing I'm talking about on the way home. Just a perspective shift. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. We do not want to get too familiar with the name of Jesus and who his character and who his nature is and his power and his glory we find that when we are too familiar with Jesus, there's something that's off. And one of those things that's off is we then are not, we're not desperate for a whole lot. And I think as Americans, being desperate is not something we're necessarily used to. We don't really, we don't have a lot of desperate needs. And without some desperation, there is no supernatural work of God. So in a weird way, I actually hope our desperation grows for Jesus and in Jesus. Third and last thing, it's about his glory and your soul. Miracles are about his glory and your soul. Not him proving something and definitely not about your situation. He has nothing to prove to you. All miracles 
are for his glory and not our own. So if we can start there as a starting point, I believe that can be a really healthy framework for talking about miracles really for the next four or five weeks. That's why this unpacking, it is important because this has to hold you for at least a month. Okay? He, he will, Jesus will, put your soul above and before a situation. He will care for your soul more than the situation. That can be really hard for you to hear if you're in a spot that you need a, a miracle, you feel like you need a miracle, and for a, a preacher guy to come up and be like, Jesus cares more about your soul and your situation than actually him doing a breakthrough and doing a miracle can be hard. But I, I'm here uh, to do some hard things and communicate some hard things, and I believe that's a point I'm supposed to make to our house. Don't let your situation dictate your view of his glory and his honor. We good? Can we hop in? Okay, we're in Matthew 17, verses 24 through 17. I'm going to take it piece by piece. I think that's the best thing to do. When they came to Capernaum, Capernaum is Jesus' headquarters. They are all familiar with Jesus. Familiar. The collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? The two drachma tax is the church tax. It's not civil. It's not your income tax. It's your tithing and offerings. Maybe we should change tithing and give, just call it a church tax. That would, that would go over well. 25 says, Peter says, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him, Peter, first saying, what do you think, Simon? Why do you call him Simon? It's his family name. He knows him well. There's relationship, there's intimacy. Jesus is familiar with Peter. Jesus is familiar with Peter, and he's familiar with you. Let us not be too familiar with Jesus and his person. He is familiar with you. From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? That tax is income tax, civil tax. They're talking about two different tax. You tracking so far? Okay, good. From their sons or from other people? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Notice his point. Jesus is free. The temple is his dad's house. He need not pay a dime or a drachma, nothing. He need not pay anything. He has all that his father has. He need not pay anything. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that, give it to them for me, and for yourself. That shekel is worth four drachma. Quick math, two drachma for Jesus, two for Peter equals four. One more time, however, not to give offense to them. That word offense, I have a natural perspective of that word offense. 
I don't like offending people. I don't like being offended. Um, however, the word there in the Greek, it really speaks to a stumbling block. To not lay a trap for. To not be a stumbling block for those that are simply being obedient to what they're doing for the temple. There's something in that. There's something to that. It, I don't have a tweetable phrase for you for this part. I just believe there is something in that perspective. That word offense, don't think someone offending you, but instead someone deciding not to put a stumbling block in front of you on purpose. That's the Jesus of this miracle. That's the character and the nature of Jesus through these miracles. All these miracles point to him and his glory and his nature. This is an amazing thing for just three verses and a deep dive into some of the text. The picture gets way bigger. To me, it gets a little bit deeper, gets a little bit more full. That's what scripture does. So, with all of these verses and little notes I just gave you, Jesus breaks a lot of rules in three verses. Jesus breaks a lot of rules in all of his miracles, right? Because miracles don't have rules. Is that not the point, right? Miracles do not have rules. That will be our guide for the rest of the morning. Miracles do not have rules. He breaks a rule. He breaks the rules of communication. That's first. He breaks the rules Basic rules of communication. What do I mean by basic rules of communication? You have Matthew, a Jewish tax collector, was called out of his career in the middle of his booth to follow Jesus, and all he cares about is communicating who the Savior of the world is to Jewish people. Matthew is written to Jewish people. It is not the same as Mark, uh, Mark, Luke, and John. They have different audiences. Fun fact, the Bible wasn't written for Americans in 2020. Everything else is, isn't it? I went to a different country expecting to be able to communicate as I always do because I'm American. How foolish. How conceited is that? Matthew's job was to tell Jewish people, hey, the Messiah, the one we're waiting for, this is him. Peter is a fisherman. It's his career. He gets called mid-career to follow Jesus. And so he gets asked first to be a fisher of man and men, which he does, and then has to go back and literally fish for something later. 2,000 years ago, an ex-tax collector and an ex-fisherman are involved with Jesus, and you and I are digging into this in America in 2020, and it is life-giving. That's what I'm talking about when he breaks the rules of communication. Forget language, right? Forget all of those things. He breaks basic rules of communication, and it's always for his glory, and it is always to show his nature and his character. Jesus breaks the rules of logic Jesus breaks the rules of logic. 
Why didn't he just have an angel bring the money down? Like, did you, I mean, maybe you didn't think about that. I just put it on the screen today. It wasn't like you were living with this for a week. Forgive me. Maybe we should do that, though. Start giving you the verse, hey, see what you dig up. Maybe you should preach. <laughs> like, why didn't he just, he can, he could have. Why use Peter at all? I was thinking, why didn't he have the money on him? Like, Jesus walked around dirt poor. Like, why didn't he? That's not logical to me. He, to me, he, he breaks the rules of, of progress. He breaks the rules of progress. Think about being Peter. You were a fisherman, Jesus calls you, and you're like a disciple, and you're doing all these amazing things, and you're, what's next? If I'm Peter, that's what I'm thinking. What's, what's next on this road following this man? He says, hey, go back, throw your line. First fish that comes up is a miracle for you. It doesn't comment on Peter's part of, part of his, uh, the posture of his heart there. But I, you know what I was thinking of? Um, in France, I taught a karate class to the kids, and I didn't want to, because I, I've progressed past that. Just ask me. I don't do that anymore. I used to have a Christ school. I used to do those things, and we're over there. It's like a room full of kids, and Pastor Mike's like, we gotta do something physical, can you do a karate class? And I said, yeah. And that was my face. Let Pastor Mike know. I'm really taking one for the team here. And, and maybe five minutes into teaching bottom back arms, how to fall the right way, all my instructors in the room are like, yeah, I, I hear you, man. Where are you going with this? Five minutes in, it's probably a stretch. It was like three minutes in, conviction. And he said, how, how dare you think I'm not gonna give you some talent and ability, skill, some attributes, for you to progress the past. As if there was power in you doing that in the first place, young man. Peter, go back. Fish, do what you used to do. Jesus breaks the rules of progress. So before I go on, what skills and talents and attributes have been laying dormant? Self-inflicted or just situational? I bet you there's one or two. He might want to breathe some life on them this morning. No exaggeration, I had to cut out four rules that he broke. Just to get to this last one, he breaks the rule of expectation. He breaks the rule of expectation. When I read scripture and I see Jesus doing a miracle, you know what my expectation is? He's going to show them. Watch. Watch him offend all these Pharisees. Watch what he does to all these church people. Watch what he does to all these, all these religious people who I'm not, I'm not like them at all. Jesus, I can't wait to see what miracle you do. And then he then does a miracle like this, rooted in humility. Why would he not just say, 
Thanks for asking about that said temple tax. I'm Jesus, I'm the Messiah, I owe you nothing, this house is mine. The humility of Jesus to not put the finances and his rights ahead of the gospel and the good news of why Jesus Christ came to walk on this earth. He had the right, he had the right to tell him what's up and this is why I'm not paying your tax. Start singing to me, I'm worthy. And instead, privately with Peter, he says, to not cause a stumbling block. When was the last time you were in your right and in your power? And you saw that as an opportunity to flex, set authority, the opportunity to, to, to flex your church word anointing, to flex your calling, or just at work your straight up position because you earned it. When was the last time you said, hey, I'm gonna put that to the side to not be a stumbling block? For people, they don't quite understand yet why I'm here, and that's okay. I have a really hard close for us today. And I want you to think about what is a miracle like you ask for a lot. Actually, let me take one step back. Let me help. Let me pastor well. Let's think about one miracle for a church, the church that we want. We'll start there. Um, an example. I want to see God pour his spirit out here in, in a way where like we leave and it's just like, I don't, this is amazing. He's, there's drips already, but hear me. I, that's what I pray for this house. That's a miracle to me. And so, to have the heart of humility as Jesus had with a, a miracle that actually just points to his glory, you pray that for every church you drive by on your way home. Pray it for Barnesboro Baptist. Forgive me ahead of time for not remembering all of them because there's like five, right? And we, we are, some of them have history with the other churches. They're all around us. When you drive by them and see them on Instagram, you pray, I'm gonna pray. I'll lead the way first. I pray that God pours his spirit out. There. And now personally, that was heavier than I thought. That was supposed to be lighter. But you personally, what is a miracle that you go to often that you know he can do it? You have, you have faith, you have enough mustard seed. Maybe you've been too familiar with him. That's not my job to confront. My job is just to have you collide with some truth. Deal with the familiarity. But whatever that miracle is, can you get to a spot you can pray that for someone else? And it happened for them, and it never happens for you. I would like, I would like to think I'm there. Maybe I'm closer today than ever. Maybe. Take inventory. Mine is hands down, infertility. I want to touch, make babies. That's what I want. But when we sing a little bit later, I'm, I'm going to pray actually for
I'm gonna pray that for someone else. And so what's yours? Worship team, as you do come up, that's gonna give the rest of the room a minute. All right, so as the worship team comes up, if you could, all of us, actually just stand with me.